This special episode of CRST the Podcast is brought to you by Glaucos. You're listening to CRST the Podcast from Bryn Mawr Communications. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, my name is Paul Singh. I'm a glaucoma specialist out in southeastern Wisconsin, proud cheesehead. And I'm here with two fantastic surgeons and educators, uh, David and Sev, who are going to introduce themselves right now. Hi, I'm David Stevens. I am from Fort Myers, Florida, and practice at Tyson Eye, practicing cataract, cornea, and glaucoma surgery. Hello, everyone. This is Sev Tamori, and cataract and glaucoma surgeon at Harvard Associates in South Orange County, California. Awesome. Two fantastic surgeons. And uh, we've had some fun with a couple of our other episodes before this. And uh, this episode, we want to focus just on real life cases and talk about how we use the eyes to inject and kind of outcomes and, and patient selection. So uh, with that said, for the sake of time, I'm going to let David start us out with our first case, talk about the history, and we'll, we'll go from there and have a discussion. Sure. Um, yeah, this, this is a patient I just love uh, talking about and thinking about because he's just one of my nicest, happiest patients. And um, just, a, you know, some people just, you get happy thinking about how they've done. Um, so I have a 77-year-old man who was referred in um, for a new optic disc hemorrhage in his left eye. Um, he came in on Alphagan twice a day, um, and his pressures were 17. So we had a new disc hemorrhage at a pressure of 17. And his max IOP in the past had been around 19 in both eyes. He's a high myope. So in his right eye, he was around minus 7 with a couple of diopters of astigmatism. In his left eye, he was minus 11.25 with a couple of diopters of astigmatism. And he also had visually significant cataracts. Um, his testing, thankfully, was pretty reliable and reassuring. He had some RNFL thinning on his OCT, um, but, you know, he has a highly myopic optic nerve, so the OCTs may be a little harder to interpret in him, and, but he had full visual fields. Um, and so, you know, I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts. You know, you have a new patient come in. He has a disc hemorrhage, so this is patient's, you know, at a higher risk of having progressive uh, glaucoma at his current pressure. And just what are you thinking about when these patients come to your office? I think it's tricky there. You know, you talk about a myopic patient. So when you're looking at interpretations from OCT, they're not going to be quite as reliable, but I'm happy to hear that the visual field was full. The question is, what do you do with this new disc hemorrhage? And when you see one of those, you really do need to bring the pressure down one way or the other. So I think the goal here is going to be, you need to get pressure down at least a few more points. The question is benefits to risk profile what's the right next step for the patient? Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, you have an early, you have an early in terms of visual field loss, early glaucoma, but disc hemorrhage tells you he's not controlled, whether it's compliance, whether it's fluctuating IOP, whether we need additional reduction of IOP, it's telling you he's not controlled. And so because of his very healthy fields, you want a really safe option, a good recovery, kind of a more of a predictable recovery. Yeah. And so for him, you know, he had developed visually significant cataracts, um, which in some way is actually um, reassuring because now we get to offer cataract surgery to this high myo. Um, he had a best corrective vision of 2040 in both eyes. Yeah, so with, with our patient, you know, we started at pressure of 17. We did cataract light adjustable lens plus eye sent inject W. Um, I just saw him recently for his one year post op. We dialed out his astigmatism and uh, got him to Plano, a 2020 uncorrected in his dominant eye, and then dialed in a about a minus 150 sphere in his non-dominant eye for J1+. So he's completely spectacle independent for the first time in his life. And his IOP was 12 off meds a year later. So um, he's just over the moon, you know, getting his off, off his medication. His visual field is still normal um, a year later. So really um, awesome, you know, um, great outcome for him. 
you know, from a vision standpoint and also from a glaucoma standpoint, we have five point reduction in pressure off a of medication, stable testing. And, um, you know, while we were able to get him off a drop early on in the post-op period, we got better, more reliable, stable refractions for the adjustments while we were doing our LAL treatments that really helped uh, get the outcome that uh, the patient wanted. That's great stuff. Now, do you, do you ever uh, take people off of medications beforehand to get good regimens? And we're talking about premium lenses for these patients. You know, obviously, IOL calculations are so crucial and the surface is such a big deal. Do you optimize the surface in any way before you do surgery in these glaucoma patients? Um, I typically don't wash people out of their glaucoma therapy before surgery. I will, um, you know, try to increase their dry eye treatment before if it's really bad, you know, and, and they're going to need continuous dry eye therapy in the future, then typically I sort of um, anticipate that they're going to still suffer from a lot of ocular surface issues in the future. And so I'd probably steer away from an IOL that's uh, going to be impacted by cor poor cornea health in the future. And so I typically don't optimize the surface just to get them into a multifocal or a, a premium IOL um, unless I feel like their testing is very unreliable. Like um, a tor what I meant by like a toric IOL. Premium oh, okay, like a toric yeah. IOL. Yeah. yeah, so like in a toric because those measurements yeah. can be off if you don't have a good stable if, surface. So would you still in those patients? Yeah, if there's, if there's a high discrepancy between their refractive and their corneal astigmatism, um, you know, on Iowa master and topography, then I'll typically, you know, bring them back maybe in even a couple weeks of increased artificial tears. And, and sometimes we get even nice uh, response from that, but I typically don't wash them out of their medications pre-op. And I think this is a great opportunity when you're trying to optimize the ocular surface, start thinking interventionally, you know, would this patient be a good fit for an SLT or some kind of sustained release product like Darista, where you can or incorporate that ahead of time, keep the pressure down, improve the ocular surface, and then just bang it out with your cataract surgery. Yeah, I agree. Whatever it is, whatever you can do, try to get that surface as healthy as you can because that will impact your quality of your measurements and impact the accuracy as well. And that was a great case. And any other comments from you guys about that case? Shows the power though. I mean, it's amazing. I, you know, I was questioning myself sometimes, you know, does the eye have the power to get you down to those lower teens sometimes? And I've been surprised, you know, it just depends on the anatomy and the physiology of the patient. You know, you get, get the splows right placements near collector system and you can, you can get them down to the middle to lower teens in, in every, in some patients, depending on their anatomy. I'm not sure about you guys, but have you had that experience in general that the power can be pretty robust? I have. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, um, Pleasant surprises are always good. So yeah. uh, in this case, you know, uh, I, I didn't anticipate being able to get him off of med for that long um, at such a low pressure, but um, I love being uh, surprised in that way. You just never know, right? I love it. That was a great case. Thank you so much for that. Appreciate it, David. Seven, are you another case too? We're going we're to kind of move on here to one of your cases on your experience as well. Yeah, I'd love to get your input on some of things that I saw here. So we have a 63-year-old African-American gentleman with a family history of glaucoma, his father with severe glaucoma and his younger brother with mild glaucoma. So that already raises a lot of red alarms for me here because African-American already increases your risk. And when you add that kind of family history, we know we're gonna be, be having a battle ahead of us. And he's only 63 years old. So when I'm thinking about in terms of life expectancy, I know with COVID, the average life expectancy has gone down, but this guy's got another 15, 20 years or so to go. And if you look at where he is right now, he had moderate disease with superior arcuate defects in both eyes that were so far sparing fixation, but definitely encroaching getting near it. So we had that kind of family history it makes me really concerned for him. His pressures on branded PGA and Timolol would range around 19 to about 23, 
But, you know, there's always those thoughts of, gosh, what do I know about this patient? And what do I really not know? We know medications, eye drops work. But, you know, you hear the typical issues with them. Hey, doc, by the way, could you make sure you refill my medications? My last drop was last night, which is a telltale sign of you're not even sure how consistently the medications are really going in. And when I really ask him, like, what are the primary issues here? Like, we're here to help you. How can I make you be more consistent with your medications? Just the side effect profile, the redness in his eyes. He's like, look, I'm more of like an executive. I can't go to meetings with my eyes looking red. They're just irritated. They're uncomfortable. And despite the fact he had such a strong family history and where he currently sits, just the eye drops really weren't a great option. And so just like in the prior case before with David, trying to figure out an, another way of addressing it just so happens that he had cataract surgery uh, or cataracts. And I thought this would be a great time to introduce cataract surgery with a mixed procedure, specifically with an eye stent inject W to try to get his pressure down. And just like we had a discussion earlier, he also had a fair amount of astigmatism. So I thought about how about we really minimize glasses dependence as much as possible. So we like to, to kind of do a, a toric IOL. But you know, what are some of the things when you're looking at this case that would be concerning to you or in terms of, you know, his pressures were 19 to 23, you know, would you guys be happy with that pressure? What would you try to get into post-surgically to kind of make you feel a little more comfortable? I mean, I think one thing I'd look at is what's his max IOP, you know, how, how high did he start? And also, you know, um, given his family history, things like pachymetry or corneal hysteresis, you know, especially if he has an extremely thin cornea or he has poor corneal hysteresis, like that gives you another big red flag for him, his progression. The fact that he already has visual field involvement um, at a pressure in the high teens to low 20s makes me think he probably needs to be in the mid-teens um, and uh, is concerning that maybe there is a non-compliance issue because of the side effects in his occupation. Yeah, his uh, corneal pachymetry was average, you know, your typical 530 to 540. The hysteresis information isn't available. But the part that's concerning is, you know, his T-maxes were, you know, 25, 26. And although the pressures are 19 to 23 in the office, you're just never really sure, are those really 19 or 23 every time? Or is it because he was using his drops the night before? I mean, how do you, how do you guys tease that out, whether a patient's complying or not? Because they really do want to people please, but you're just trying to get the right information of what's truly the accurate pressure so you can set those target values. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, you can do obviously dial curves, you can have people do eye care home and things like that. But I tell you, it's about letting the patient feel comfortable acknowledging that they're not compliant. In other words, assuming that they're all guilty until proven innocent. So for me, I was like, Mrs. Smith, look, just tell me on average, how many times are you missing your drops a week? Just five, six times. I almost like assume they're doing it and say, like, let's let me know. Let's be honest with each other. Because if you ask them, do they take their medications? They all say yes. But if you say, hey, do you miss them more than two or three times a week? Almost all of them say, yes, I do. So I think it's being able to make them feel comfortable being honest with you and saying, hey, look, it's okay if you aren't. Let's just try to figure out better ways of approaching it. Um, and I think you're right, fluctuating IOP. I mean, when, I, when I see three or four, even more millions of mercury up and down, you know, when I did my training at Duke with Sanjay Rani, he was a big proponent of minimizing fluctuating IOPs and you know, Aegis and other studies showing us that that can be an independent risk factor. So not even just bringing the pressures down to the middle teens, but keeping it stable is so important. And it's no doubt compliance with his history is probably another issue of why, why he's probably not controlled. So stabilizing that IOP, not just bringing it down is really important. I think you bring up a good point in our prior podcast where we talk about how you define successful surgery or pressure reduction. The answer is it depends. And you know, what is successful eye drop regimen? It depends on the person you're talking to. For some people, if they get it in more than half the time, to them, that means success. But to us, it doesn't mean that. So I think it's really important you figure out 
where are they actually getting in so you can figure out what those targets were. Well, for him, we did bilateral cataract surgery, sequentially put in toric IOLs. His pressures actually went down to 14 and 15. These were uh, in concomitant times with I sent inject W, got him off of his drops. His vision post-op is 2020 and 2025 uncorrected. And he's okay with wearing some over-the-counter um, reading glasses for that because again, he was corrected for his distance. But more importantly, was able to get him off of his drops. And you can see, get him off of his drops, his pressures went to 14, 15, much better place for him to sit. And he was able to go to his meetings the next day and, and not worrying about what, what everybody thought of him. That's great. And, and even if he had to go back on a drop a day versus two or three meds, I mean, that's still a benefit, although he's off of meds, which is great. But you know, even that alone could be a significant impact getting off of one or two meds, you know. So uh, great stuff. Great stuff. Thanks for that. Any, any comments, David? Makes sense. Yeah, I think that's an awesome case. And it's uh, another really good way to pair with it. Um, you know, extended uh, release medications, especially preoperatively in him to really see what his IOP would be um, with continuous drug therapy as, as a test of compliance and also to, um, you know, optimize the surface, get the redness better pre-op. Well, I guess I'll finish this off with the last case here. Uh, thanks. David had a case where the pressure was not extremely high at all on a drop. And Seb has talked about his, his patient here where pressures were fluctuating in the kind of lower 20s on meds. And uh, I have a case kind of almost even more extreme in the sense that patient's team actually is in the upper in the lower 30s, right? At 34, he was on a PGA, uh, Timolol and bromonidine. Pressures were down to the lower 20s, like 21 to 24 uh, with medications. Um, he had SLT a couple of times in the past with some moderate response uh, that kind of might be 15, 20% reduction of IOP there, but um, had a two plus NS with some cortical changes. It was glaring down to 2060. Uh, best corrected was 2030, uh, but had Pachymetry in the 530 range, but had hysteresis down to 8.7 right eye, 9.1 left eye, below 10, 10 and a half is because they're abnormal. So in this patient, it was 8.7 right eye, 9.1 left eye. So despite pachymetry being sort of normal 530s or so, uh, the CH or hysteresis were low, they made me a little more suspicious. Uh, they had also, in the, if you look at the cupping, a little bit more of a notch in the right eye, but the feels in the right eye were not that bad. More moderate glaucoma as in had a nasal kind of defect here, but centrally was still okay. So more moderate glaucoma, Pressures in the lower 20s, kind of fluctuating a couple points, Tmax in the low 30s, clinically significant cataract. Also had, believe it or not, I wish I could show you my screen here, but also had about a diopter and a half against the rule of stigmatism at nine degrees. So let me ask you guys, so what would you do in this case here? So patients wants to have good quality of vision. In fact, patient was scared to have surgery for many years because was scared of the post-op regimen. Was worried about complications. That was a big thing for the patient, safety, 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 and worried about good quality of vision. So. What are your thoughts on that? One part about this case that I really like are the higher initial pressures before surgery. Because, you know, we always say how many points of reduction you're supposed to anticipate. Well, you'll get a better reduction starting off with a higher pressure. So this is one where just the right setting, you may, may hit a home run if you can just line it up. So definitely cataract surgery plus the mix of your proceed or of your, of your um, confidence, I would say go with it. Yeah, I think if you're, you know, one way to approach this with the hesitant patient is, you know, hey, we're, we're doing cataract surgery, you know, you have visually significant cataracts that are affecting you. And at the same time, we're doing something that is essentially offering the same risk profile as cataract surgery alone with iStent Inject W. And so I think it can put the patient at ease that hopefully we can get his uh, medication burden and his pressures much better, but also, you know, offer them uh, a similar risk profile to what you're already going to do with them.
Yeah, I mean, I think the past, the fact that patient, the fact that the patient was so hesitant for surgery and really worried about post-op, you know, recovery, et cetera. I was, you know, I would, this has been a great combination case. Normally, I would have combined this with some viscodilation, some otomy, and and also do a stent at the same time because I really wanted to get the patient off of meds. And it's just the patient had a pretty high pressure, you know, it's from T Max. But because of that history and the risk factor for the patient tolerance, I just did the ISET inject. And I expected to put the patient back on a med or two. I really did. But uh, I, I think I sent you guys this, this slide deck here before, but basically at six months out, patient's pressure 15 off of meds, vision, vision was 20-20 with a toric IOL. In fact, I had to put a, uh, in, in a toric, which is a, a spheric design lens, zero aberration. Patient actually can read with, about J2 without glasses with both eyes for distance. So pretty impressive. So mostly spectacle independent, except for some extreme reading issues once in a while with an over-the-counter cheater. But I was honestly surprised. I did not think, to be fair, that the ISET inject would give me uh, down to the middle teens uh, with that T-max on those minimum medications to the middle teens. Does that surprise you? I mean, have you guys had that ha happen to you where you were like, wow, I mean, from that, from a T-max of low, low 30s to like 15 off of meds. Have you ever had that happen? Yeah, I think every once in a while, you just have the like 360 windmill dunk that it goes in and you don't know how, I mean, I've never done a 360 windmill dunk personally, <laughs> but uh, I, 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 I thought all. about it a lot. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've, I've had that with SLT too. Sometimes you do an SLT, you're like, wow, I had a 50% reduction in pressure and it, and it does point you to where the dysfunction is for the patient. Yeah. I think those ones with higher IOP, there's your chance to hit a home run. You're not going to get it every time, but you, you may catch lightning in a bottle on those. That was, that was a shocker. I mean, I was like, whoa. I mean, yeah, because normally I would have come. This is a great combination case, right? Combining different mechanisms. I, I lecture on that all the time. When you have a high number of medications, high pressure, a great way to combo. But you're surprised. You just never know. That's the thing. And I think when we say, that, does the eye stand have the power to reduce? It just depends on the patient, right? Depends on the physiology, where the resistance is, and their anatomy. So, um, but yeah, this is a, it was a great way to kind of show the versatility. And, and there's a lot of MIGS procedures. It's not just one, not just the eye stent inject. Of course, we have a lot of other MIGS out there. But I think the key is just to recognize that there's these patients who are suffering on meds. And we don't know, as I said, you brought, a, you brought a great point. We just don't know the out of office issues, right? Are they taking them? Are they compliant? Are they taking it right before they come in? Are their pressures fluctuating? What's happening outside of when we see them once every six months or every four months? And because of all that, I think just addressing the compliance issue by doing a MIGS procedure at the same time of cataract, uh, just really makes so much sense for, for our perspective, saving time and stress for us not knowing, but also for the patient's quality of life. Um, any thoughts, you guys, before we end, you know, in, in terms of these cases that we brought up, your experiences with MIGS and with the iStent? I think you hit it right on the head, just the versatility of what you can do with an iStent Inject W or just any other MIGS procedure. Make sure you think about it when you do your cataract surgery. Absolutely. Yeah, great cases. I mean, it's an exciting time to be taking care of glaucoma patients. It's a tough, you know, it's a tough disease. It affects so many people, but I think the options that we have now, the way that we can help people early in the disease are, are really exciting. And um, it's great to see what's coming out uh, even in the near future. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for sharing your cases and all your expertise and all the pearls. I always learn so much from listening to you guys and uh, hopefully the audience learns something as well. Uh, but keep in touch, stay healthy and safe. And again, thank you everybody for listening. Hopefully we'll catch you guys in the future somewhere, somewhere, sometime. Take care. Thanks guys. Thank you.